It's the bottom line on News Radio 610, KONA. From the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down. Break it all down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. With your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Welcome into the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. It is Friday afternoon. Rob Francis second with you. Ed Dawson back on Monday. Got a full slate for you. This afternoon, we're going to lead things off talking with a candidate for the office, the superintendent of public instruction, Ron Higgins. Born and bred right here in the Tri-Cities. Good afternoon to you, Ron. How are you? Well, I wouldn't say born and bred, but I've lived here many, many years. We'll put it this really way. enjoy it. You've been, I like it so much, I could work for the uh, Chamber of Commerce. You've been here long enough, Mr. Higgins. You're a Tri-Cityan by now. That's right. So talk to us a little bit about why you are running for the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction uh, in this go-around, Mr. Higgins. Well, uh, as Abraham Lincoln said, uh, the philosophy of the classroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the uh, government in the next. And I, as a substitute teacher, I'm a certificated teacher in both Washington State and California. I got my math uh, certification in math in 2000. And I've been uh, substitute teaching uh, ever since then. So I've, I have been all over uh, Southeast Washington in schools. I've uh, been every grade. And I've seen things that I don't like. Uh, we are not conveying the principles that made the United States free and prosperous. We have not been conveying them to our kids. Uh, I've, I've talked to kids after they said the Pledge of Allegiance, and the kids don't know what pledge and allegiance mean. And that's very, very troubling to me. Uh, I've met uh, high school kids who can't add fractions. I've seen uh, Democratic Socialist clubs being promoted on campus. Well, that, that means the government owns everything and nobody owns any property, so our property rights are gone. And uh, that really troubles me, and uh, that's why I wanted to, to try and uh, return some sanity into our school system. Uh, I have my three main goals. Uh, first, I'm opposed to this comprehensive sex education and anything that would sexualize our kids or encourage them to engage in unhealthy behavior. Uh, by the way, I think that comprehensive sex education, I think it's uh, nothing short of grooming our kids to be compliant victims of sex predators. So that's my first priority. Uh, the second, uh, I want to uh, treat children as individuals, not as members of groups, get them to t- think independently, not in this consensus thinking that I see all too often in our schools, and instruct them in the basics, uh, science, uh, civics, uh, communication, and computation so they can be uh, effective members of our society and they know what their God-given civil and religious liberties are and can defend them intellectually. And last, uh, I'm for local control and parental rights, including the parental rights to homeschool, to control their children's medical care, to uh, uh, get vouchers, and also to form charter schools. And I could talk about any of these if, if you would like. 
Now, Mr. Higgins, as you alluded to a little bit earlier, you have been around the education system for quite some time. Yes, in sir. in that period of time, you have run for office of superintendent of public instruction before. Yes. You've run for school board positions as well. What is it that you have seen in the 20-plus years you have been around the education system? Where are the, 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 the declines that you have seen? I mean, you mentioned about civics and so on and so forth. But other areas that you believe the education system is failing kids today? Well, I told you the uh, fact that they didn't uh, know their basic math, some of them. Now, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush, and obviously there are some very good people. As I've gone around in my campaign, I've met a number of principals and a number of school teachers who feel even stronger than I do about what's, what's going on and that something needs to be done. And uh, that's why I, I'm running. Uh, I have run for school board before. Uh, It's tough to run against an incumbent uh, when uh, the test scores are high and the football team's winning. (laughs) It's tough to push there. But uh, just having a good football team is not necessarily indicative that you have uh, an effective educational system. Uh, We need to be passing our uh, uh, principles along to the younger generation because if we don't do that, uh, they can be beguiled by some of these – uh, socialists who promise them uh, some type of free lunch, and uh, what all they'll do is just take their, their liberty away from them. I see that happening right now. I've run into a number of kids that they kind of think the world owes them a living. In fact, one kid says uh, he was going to vote for Sanders, and I, and he, I kind of ask him why, and he says, uh, don't you like free stuff? And I say, yeah, I like free stuff. Why don't you mow, mow my lawn for free? Well, that the free stuff, there, there's no such thing as a free lunch. It's one of the first things that you should uh, learn in life. Now, mi- the kids need to know. I'm sorry to keep talking. <laughs> Mr. Higgins, let me ask you this, because one of the things that OSPI puts out every year are the report cards for each school in each district regarding reading, math, uh, and those scores. Uh, they're available to the general public. A lot of people look at them, and they raise an eyebrow as to why these scores tend to be lower than they expect. What is the responsibility of OSPI as far as the the basics, reading, math, and what are some of the things that the head of OSPI can do to try and uh, maybe alter the direction a little bit in the reading and math uh, categories specifically to help improve those scores in the classroom? Do you see something there that the state can do to improve those? Well, first, stop all these unfunded mandates. And I was at one school board meeting, and... Uh, uh, someone came and he said, why don't we do this program? And the uh, uh, the fellow who was the president of the school board said, oh, that's fine. Tell us what you don't want us to do. All right. You only have so many resources. And if you're going to start diverting your resources to some of this, like uh, promiscuity ed or whatever they have, uh, to, to to corrupt our kids and to destroy their natural uh, modesty, uh, and you're going to have to take something out from, from uh, other instruction. We have to focus on the basics. That's why you go to school, to learn to communicate, to compute, and to learn the civics, uh, what the purpose of government is. By the way, you can go for the purpose of government. That's the third sentence of the Declaration of Independence. Where do your rights come from? What they are. That's the uh, second sentence. Uh, 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 What is a republic? We pledge allegiance to the republic. You can find that out reading the uh, Mayflower Compact. That's a nation of laws in which everybody agrees, and everybody is under the law. Nobody's above the law. And uh, last, uh, what makes laws valid? The laws of nature and nature's God. Laws of nature, that's uh, reality and truth. And laws of nature's God, that's ethics. 
So if there, it's within the bounds of truth and ethics, it's valid. If it's not, then it's not valid. It doesn't take long to instruct kids on that. And we, we're just not doing it. How come? How come we don't go back to our basis documents and the principles that made us uh, free and prosperous? That's, that's what we should be emphasizing. That's what I would encourage. But I am not the dictator. Uh, I'm going to set the standards and encourage them. Uh, the implementation is left to the uh, individual school districts. I'm a very strong believer in networking, uh, uh, math teachers networking, uh, administrators networking, uh, phys ed teachers networking. So you, you get the best ideas, and, and those can share those with, with best ideas uh, all around the state. We're talking with Ron Higgins. He's a candidate for the office of... Supervisor of the Public Instruction, OSPI. It's the easiest way to refer to it as OSPI. Mr. Higgins, um, we have certainly seen over the last number of years that parents' concern regarding public education, their students, is growing. Um, how much, in your opinion, has government overstepped its its responsibility here? And is it, and when I say government, I mean state government, and is it time to empower the local districts maybe more than where they currently are? Well, I think so it is, because uh, it's uh, the, the parents are the ones responsible for the children. It's their children and their money. Uh, Harry Truman said the buck stops here. In other words, you couldn't, uh, he couldn't pass it. He couldn't blame anybody else. He's a guy who's going to get stuck if something goes wrong, and he's going to get the blame. Well, the bucks start with the taxpayers. So they have to be involved, and uh, the parents have to be You can't just put it on autopilot. If you look at uh, what the National Teachers Union uh, is proposing and some of these uh, other organizations, it's very disturbing and very uh, contrary to the very foundational principles of liberty. And it's very disturbing uh, that they're doing that. In fact, it almost makes them say, well, I guess you don't want to teach our kids that. <laughs> That's almost what they're saying to me. Uh, if you're not going to uh, affirm the, the foundational principles of this country and our as stated in our basic documents, uh, basis documents such as the Mayfair Compact, Declaration of Independence, and uh, the U.S. Constitution, among others, the uh, uh, organic laws of the United States, then I think you're in the wrong business. Uh, you should be conveying that to our uh, posterity. If you don't, who's going to do it? You are paid to do that. In fact, there are state laws that you require you to do that. I could uh, quote them, maybe not quite verbatim, but I know the numbers, to teach uh, honesty and manners and uh, also to teach morality and patriotism. In fact, that is the title of one of the uh, state laws, and they're supposed to do that. Uh, it's not being done from what I can see. In fact, one of them is to avoid profanity. I was out uh, watching a uh, some uh, sign-waving and uh, the, some of the youth were making obscene gestures and shouting things that were, I will not be repeating on this show. And uh, obviously they are not avoiding profanity like they have been, supposedly we have instilled in them. We're talking with Ron Higgins. He's a candidate. Civilization in our posterity, and that disturbs me. We're talking with Ron Higgins, a candidate for OSPI here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. What, what are your thoughts on school choice, Mr. Higgins? I'm very much in favor of it. Their, their money, their kids. 
Absolutely. I... By the way, I'm speaking as a teacher. I taught in the inner city of Los Angeles, both public and charter schools. My son was uh, severely injured in an uh, industrial accident. He broke his back. He's been in a wheelchair for over 15 years. Hasn't stopped him. He's, he's got a degree from Gonzaga, and then he worked a while, and then he went down to uh, University of Southern California to get his master's in business administration. He needed somebody as a, as a housekeeper, so I went down there and helped him. While uh, I was there, since I already had my teaching certificate in Washington State, I applied to be a substitute teacher in the uh, L.A. Unified School District and also for a, a charter school. Uh, Subready was the, the organization I worked for, and, and I worked for uh, a, num- uh, a number of different charter schools, like seven of them. And if you worked in a public school, especially in the inner city, the real inner city, uh, it was chaos. And you couldn't hold kids accountable. You couldn't teach them anything. You, you, would, be, you would feel fortunate if your kids survived that day. If you go to charter schools, the kids drafted shirts and ties. Uh, they had uh, high academic standards. They had high behavior standards and high grooming standards, and they held the kids accountable. It was fun to teach. So why should the teachers take a vow of poverty to go to a, to teach in a, in a situation where kids are held accountable, uh, and then are, uh, they have to almost take a vow of poverty to do that, or they go to the public school where, where chaos reigns. Now, it doesn't rain here in the Tri-Cities, at least not yet, but I'll tell you, it did in the inner city of Los Angeles, and it was not a pleasant experience. It was very pleasant in the uh, charter schools. So I think it should follow, uh, follow the uh, student. Uh, the money should. Of course, with money comes strings, and you have to realize that there's going to be oversight. You can't get around it. Mr. Higgins, if anyone is interested in finding more information regarding you and your campaign, where can they go? Well, uh, you can go to my website. It's uh, Higgins, H-I-G-G-I-N-S, followed by the number four, and then the letters SPI, that's Superintendent of Public Instruction, Higgins4SPI.com. And you can read a lot about me and uh, uh, those who uh, endorse me and such and uh, some of my positions on the issues. And it tells you how to get a hold of me. I get phone calls and texts and uh, uh, emails from people all over the state. And I'm more than happy to talk to anybody at any time. Ron Higgins, Tricidian, candidate for Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction. We appreciate your time this afternoon, sir. And best of luck to you in the race. Hey, Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Absolutely. Give us your bottom line. It's your voice, your show. We are going to take a quick time out here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA, when we come back. Boy, do we have a bunch to touch on today. In fact, we will be joined shortly by candidate for governor, state of Washington, Josh Freed, holding an event here in the Tri Cities this afternoon. We'll talk about that as well as how Mr. Freed's race is currently going and the things that he would like to do for you as the next governor if the votes go his way in the state of Washington. More the bottom line, News Radio 16 KONA after this. Join the show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back to the bottom line with Robin Ed, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. It's Friday afternoon. Rob Francis flying solo. Ed Dawson will be back on Monday. Coming up, we have got... 
Candidate for Governor Josh Freed will join us in just a few minutes in studio. So we'll talk to Mr. Freed about his campaign. Uh, next hour, got a bit we want to talk about, including, uh, you know, we talked a little yesterday about the Seattle Times endorsement of Governor Jay Inslee. And, and really, the question was, why did they bother? When, if you read the endorsement exactly, um, we'll put it mildly, it was, boy, the first eight years have really kind of stunk. But, well, the last six months, he's just been fantastic, so we need another four years of this. Well, I think we all know the COVID-19 pandemic will more than likely not last four years. So I don't think we need Governor Inslee for another four years in light of all of the things they brought up that went wrong in the first eight. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about endorsements and what the what the whole goal of an endorsement is. Because if you look around, you see organizations, you see groups, you see a number of different entities that will put out an endorsement regarding a candidate. We'll talk a little bit about what the importance, you know, are, is there an importance to them? We'll get your thoughts on it as well. Uh, at five four seven one six ten, we also have the donkey of shame, of course, that will do the strut. It does each and every Friday afternoon, though we'll say that the donkey did, uh, take some time off during the COVID-19 pandemic, but the donkey is, is, is walking around loud and proud, uh, over the last few weeks. Um, but it has been a very interesting time. And, and one thing I do want to mention, we got, uh, got some news across a few minutes ago that the U S Supreme court has handed the president a win, president Trump. They have denied a request to halt the border wall construction at the Southern border. So the U.S. Supreme Court has denied a request to halt the border wall construction uh, that President Trump has already started. So it's a little bit of a victory there uh, from the Supreme Court regarding what is going on down at the southern border. And, uh, you know, that is certainly one thing that has, I don't want to say it's completely faded into the background, but it has definitely taken a back seat. Uh, in in the COVID-19 pandemic and certainly in the presidential race up to this point, there is not much discussion at all about border security right now um, in light of the pandemic, dealing with everything associated with the pandemic. And it certainly would have been a hot topic considering with the construction that's gone on and, and it, some of the, the funding uh, that the president and his administration has moved around to accomplish this goal. Um, but you don't hear Joe Biden talking about it. Um, the president hasn't really talked much about it, um, particularly in regards with the pandemic. Um, right now, there really isn't much going on. I mean, flights and so on and so forth, a lot of travel between countries has been halted as a result of this. The U.S.-Canadian border is still closed. In fact, Canada just extended some restrictions to travel to Alaska. So there's not a lot of movement going on immigration-wise right now, which is probably one main reason why you haven't heard this as part of the debates or as part of the debate on the national stage. But the Supreme Court allowing the president's construction of the border wall on the southern border to continue by denying a request to stop it. We're going to take a time out here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. We come back, we are going to talk with gubernatorial candidate Joshua Freed, who is in town for an event this weekend. We'll talk a little bit about that event with Mr. Freed, as well as the state of the campaign. 
it's certainly tight with a number of candidates vying to oppose Governor Inslee. We'll know a little bit more on Tuesday, but of course, we know how the mail-in ballot system goes. It'll take a little bit longer to see how things are going to shake out. Speak your piece. Call 509-547-1610. More of The Bottom Line, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA. Rob Francis hanging with you Friday afternoon. Ed Dawson back on Monday. Joining me in studio, candidate for Washington State Governor Joshua Freed. Mr. Freed, thanks for the time today. Appreciate you coming in. Rob, it's always a great opportunity to be on with you. I, I thank you. So let's start, uh, uh, let's start a little bit with some of the recent events that have happened in the state. Um, because I'm really interested in your perspective of if you were sitting in the chair behind the desk, uh, how you would have approached this. And, and, and I take some of this after reading, uh, the Seattle times endorsement of Jay Inslee and basically taking the first eight years and saying, well, it really sucked, but the last six months he has shown true leadership and he has stepped up to the plate and he has been what we really need. And no, 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 he hasn't. Because there are things that have happened in that six months that are things that that he has shown no leadership with at all in any way, shape, or form. So tell me, you're sitting in the governor's mansion, and you see what's happening in Seattle, and you see um, how things had devolved regarding attacks on the police department, regarding um, you know the protests becoming violent, not all of them, but, but a portion of the protests becoming violent. As you're sitting there in the governor's mansion and you're watching the largest city, an economic driver in the state with a number of large companies that are seeing their property being destroyed and their business being impeded, as governor, what would you have done in that situation? Well, what we needed was quick, decisive action, as Jenny Durkin, the mayor of Seattle, told the police to vacate the East Precinct and then back off and let the violent rioters take over. They gave them an inch that first night, and they ended up taking six blocks. And then what we saw is 500 residents in that area seeing their constitutional rights being taken away. And so when the police were withdrawn, that's where the governor should have brought in the state troopers, because there is a responsibility as governor to protect the citizens of Washington state. So when mayors won't do their job and protect their citizens as as governor, I will. Now, one of the other things, of course, that's happened during this is the Nigerian prince sweeping in and and stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars of hard-earned Washington state taxpayer money through the ESD scandal. The governor today just extended the proclamation that ESD actually alluded to as being one of the reasons why this was able to uh, happen, which is the one-week waiver, on being able to apply for benefits. They pretty much point blank said this is really Mm -hmm. one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. He just extends that proclamation again today. A situation like this goes on. We understand that there are things that you want to take care of, you know, in a pandemic and try and make it easier on people. But with this particular situation, what would the steps that you have been taking once you found out what occurred at ESD? Oh, I mean, a quick and easy decision for me. You have to fire the head of ESD. The Employees Security Department sent $1 billion to a Nigerian fraud ring of our tax money. To think that that wasn't an inside job is really potentially ignorance. We need to have somebody get in there and say, all right, where's the money and who is working to send this money? Because if we're sending it out of state and out of country, 
I mean, how do you not notice $1 billion? How do you not notice $1 million? Now, they think that we should be happy because they've recovered $300 million of it. But still, that means $700 million is out there. In the meantime, we have Jay Inslee saying, you're non-essential. You can't go to work. And so people are waiting for their unemployment check. And now they're waiting for eight to nine weeks, and that check is not coming. We have a lot of suffering in Washington State. I've gone to all 39 counties of the state, and I've looked in people's eyes. I've heard their stories about how their businesses are now shut down, never to open again. I've looked at kids' eyes standing behind parents as they're sharing their stories with me, and people are desperately hurting. As Jay Inslee makes a comment about what's happening up on Capitol Hill, he said he's unaware. Rob, you and I recognize he's unaware of what's happening throughout the state of Washington, where families need the support of a governor who says, I'm willing to step in during a time of difficulty, not say what he has, saying this is really hard work. I wish it wasn't on my shoulders. I wish it was on somebody else's. Well, step aside, because being governor is not about riding around Learjets, running for president, spending more time in Iowa than in Yakima, but it's saying I'm there during the hard times and the good times because I make that commitment to you as a leader of the state of Washington. And I will be there. I'm not going to run and say I wish the burden was on somebody else. People need true leadership. I was just downtown Seattle recently, served meals to 150 individuals in Pioneer Square. We set up a grill, made grilled cheese, handed out drinks and snacks and everything. I met six to eight people in first-time homelessness due to Jay Inslee's unconstitutional, unscientific, and certainly unproven directives against the citizens of Washington. $8.8 billion is the big number right now. Yeah. And that's, and that's the conservative estimate. Some say the estimates could be as high as $12 billion. No special session has been called by the governor. There is a holdout among the four corners in signing off on a state land, and we all know who that is up in Spokane, Senator Billig. Um, as governor, seeing this situation, you're behind the desk. Would you have encouraged the legislature to call the special session, or would you have done it yourself? I would absolutely have called it, and I called for it several months ago at the very beginning of this, and I asked for five clear points. One is of certainly the $2.7 billion of new spending that they passed in the dead of the night using title-only bills last year. We should have put an immediate stay on that type of spending. We should have, with the BNO tax, had a holiday from that. We should have deferred all property taxes, payments and such, and offered some grants to some businesses to make sure that they're continuing to function, not see them shut down. What we need to see with the $54 billion budget we have right now and the 8 to $9 billion projected shortfall, we're going to see the Democrats want to go back in and say we need tax increases. Well, clearly, we already have 50 different taxes in the state of Washington. We don't need another one. When they... <laughs> They're trying to push forward with an income tax, calling it a capital gains tax. Jay Inslee is killing Washington. It's not COVID. It's Jay Inslee's directives against businesses, which is jobs, which is individuals and families. So we need to have a pathway forward of economic recovery in the state of Washington, which means small businesses need to be able to create new jobs, create new products, move forward in our innovation with the government out of the way. We have $54 billion or 50, sorry. I'll go to something else. We have 57,000 pages of regulations that put a burden on small businesses. And yet the first bill Jay Inslee signed this year was an increase to the B&O tax. So yet another pressure on small businesses. Yet, of course, Boeing gets a special tax rate. But still, the climate in Washington State's not friendly to them, so they're leaving yet again, taking yeah. a whole line away. I will give the governor credit for this, though. He did say back in 2008 that he would not sign a single bill 
that resulted in a tax increase. He was right. He has signed dozens <laughs> yes. that have resulted in tax increases. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going on that. He didn't, he didn't sign one. He signed dozens that resulted in tax oh, yeah. increases. So he did keep that promise. He kept to his word. He did, did keep that promise. But I want to talk to you about COVID because you're traveling around the state. All right. You came in here. You're wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to be wearing one, I'm sure, at your event later on today, which we'll discuss as well. Where we are right now, with the the roller coaster amount of numbers in different areas of the state, the west side is beginning to tick back up, the east side's, you know, up and down. What are the things that you believe as the leader of the state, because you're not a doctor, you're not a scientist, as the leader of the state, what are the things that you believe the governor should be doing or should have done hmm. in order to make this not just as, as I'm trying to find the right way to put this, as manageable on the, on the ground level for people and, and taking care of their health, but also as far as the economy and other aspects of it, because it seems that the governor started off fine, but when it came down to making difficult decisions, he really got lost and we saw major disparities. That's a great way to say it. I think, what would I have done differently? Well, certainly, I would not have underfunded public health like he did for the last seven years. He was approached multiple times asking for more money for public health funding, and he rather allocated to Planned Parenthood. And so the remaining money that we had, they used to plan for heroin injection sites rather than planning for a pandemic. So success comes with proper planning and investment. He failed to do both. Uh, Then as we go forward, and here's the pandemic, and he divides us into groups of essential versus non-essential, winner versus loser, says you can go to the pot shop, the liquor store, or cure your anxiety by going to Target or Walmart. But then he says to small box stores, they got to stay home, and you certainly can't go pray with an individual in the park because that would be far too dangerous. So clearly he's not using science for his decisions, which is quite concerning. Uh, we would be more willing and, and, and encouraged by a leader coming out and say, here's some science, this is fact, this is what works to keep us all safe from the pandemic. And, you know, at the beginning, most of us had that great um, attitude, and we were all truly felt that we were in this together. And yet he sits in a mansion that we all pay for, takes a $187,000 salary, then he throws dictates over a high wall telling us how we need to live our lives, and then criticizes us in the way that we do it saying that if your kid is out on the sidewalk, you need to write them out of their will. Or if they are not going to listen to you, the parent, tell them that the governor is going to call them. And then he's pitted neighbor against neighbor, saying if you're on your way to your essential job, you look over, their neighbor is going on to their non-essential job, pick up the phone. We want to hear the government. We want you to report them, and we're going to take away their business license, we're going to fine them, and we're going to put them into jail. Wow. I mean, what have you done? He's so divided us apart. There is no way that this governor could bring our state together again. He is incapable of bringing unity to Washington state today, which is why when we look downtown Seattle at Capitol Hill, he said he's unaware there. We have chaos in the streets, rioters breaking into 67 different Asian businesses. He's AWOL. If he's not aware, he's not making a positive impact there. He's actually caused even more of the problem with people's anxiety and response to what we're seeing in the news, where mobs are now taking over city streets. We're talking with Joshua Freed, candidate for governor here in Washington State. You are a small business owner, correct? Sure. One of the things that I think a lot of people found disturbing 
in the approach, and, and we've talked to people in industry regarding this, is that the governor and his office and his administration did not reach out to industry when it came to developing plans for reopening and safe reopenings. The industries themselves had to take the initiative to put those plans together, present them to the governor, and then when he got around to it, he would take a look at them and decide, okay, if it's time for them to move on. How damaging is that approach, not just to the economy, but to the spirit of of industry here? And why would you want to do business here if the governor basically looks at you and goes, eh, you know what, yeah, figure it out yourself, and then maybe I'll take a look at it, and we'll see how it sounds, and, and, and you get an opportunity. I mean, you know, if you were in that, if you were behind that seat, how quickly would you have reached out to industry and business in order to get plans and be able to get them moving forward? We would have already have given them a seat at the table because under Jay Inslee, you have to have a powerful lobbyist to have at the seat of the table. Under a freedom administration, I want to make sure I'm hearing from everyone. For instance, when I become governor, I'm going to start what's called regional offices of the governor. Because as uh, I've heard throughout all 39 counties in the state, people believe that Jay Inslee represents three counties uh, on the west side of the mountains, King, Pierce, and Snohomish County. And yet, look, he isn't even aware of what's happening right there smack dab in the middle of the bastion of socialism on the Capitol Hill in the Emerald City. So I'm going to open up regional offices of the governor. After we cut the state budget by 20 25%, I'm going to take five existing state employees, use existing buildings, and put them in central Washington, eastern Washington, northwest Washington, southwest Washington. So I will hold office hours there as governor so I can hear the voice of the people. Because far too long, like comprehensive sex education, I'm a co-sponsor on referendum 90, but when the one chance that the folks of Washington State had to testify was at 8 a.m., well, clearly, getting from Spokane or OMAC, Washington, to Olympia, you got to leave at 1 a.m. So there is a disproportionate voice that's heard on the committee floor in, um, in Olympia from Thurston County, Pierce County, and King County. So with these regional offices of the governor, I want to have the ability to have a broadcast from these offices and have a camera set up so folks can come in to Spokane or Ellensburg or uh, Tri-Cities and then let their voice be heard right there on the committee floor. So finally, we have balanced rep- representation in Washington state. We're talking with Joshua Freed. He is a candidate for governor here in Washington state. Now, I know you've got an event to get to, Mr. Free. I'm going to let you go in just a few minutes. Got one more question for you, and this one is completely and totally pertinent to Eastern Washington. Could even be a one-word answer. Earlier today, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers released the final environmental impact study regarding the Columbia River system operations and the dam system. And according to Representatives Newhouse, Morris Rogers, and Herrera Bittler, looks like it's good news. Would you end these attacks on the Columbia River and Snake River dams if you were governor? A hundred and ten percent. When Jay Inslee spent $750,000 on a study to remove the Snake River dams, it clearly showed that he is a hypocrite. He doesn't care about the environment. He cares about a killer whale feeding program. We need to make people be the priority. Those four dams provide... Uh, clean energy, up to 800,000 homes. Those dams actually provide the water to central and eastern Washington farms and ranches and orchards. And we feed the world here from eastern and central Washington. I think about our president who actually advocated for our state in trade far better than our own governor, where he negotiated a trade agreement with China, with USMCA, with Canada and Mexico. We export $13.5 billion worth of agricultural goods here from eastern and central Washington. 
I will always make sure that we have those dams, those water sources to provide water to those farms and ranches. And to take that one further step, the Columbia Basin Project was started 50 years ago. Got to it, it hasn't been completed. Would you be an activist along with the local representation here that have been trying to get that project completed? Would you help us get that completed and and help advance that in Washington, D.C.? be one of the most exciting projects I could work on in Washington State. To think how long we've been waiting to complete it, let's finish it, and let's do that together. Tell us a little bit about your event coming up today. Uh, today we're going to be the Voices of the Non-Essential. So it's at 4.30 to 6 o'clock, and it's going to be in the John Dam Park, and that's 815 George Washington uh, in Richmond. Uh, George Washington Way in Richland. So we'd love to see people there from 430 to 6. There's going to be a lot of voices. You're going to hear from teachers, doctors, gym owners, small businesses. I got Marty McClendon, who's running for lieutenant governor, coming. We got Matt Larkin, who's running for attorney general, coming. Chris Leba, who's running for auditor, was going to come, uh, but he's not feeling well today. So unfortunately, we're going to miss him. But I've been running around the state with these three guys and because we're doing a unity tour because there's a lot of division today. A lot of people are looking for leadership. The Democrats especially are saying they don't think that their governor is representing them anymore. So we're showing that there is a value proposition of Freed, McClendon, Larkin, and Leba. Joshua Freed, candidate for governor here in Washington State. Appreciate your time this afternoon, sir. Best of luck to you in the race, and have a wonderful event this afternoon. Thank you. I appreciate everybody's vote, and if they can go to freedforgovernor.com. But God bless you, my friend. We're going to take a quick time out, come back, wrap things up for hour number one here on the Bottom Line, News Radio 610 KONA. Our thanks to Joshua Freed, candidate for governor, for stopping by this afternoon. You can see him beginning at 430 at John Dan Plaza on G-Way in Richland. The Bottom Line, the only place that cares what you think. Call in now, 509-547-1610. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Bottom Line News Radio 610 K1A Friday afternoon. 547-1610, the number if you want to get involved. Rob Francis here at Dawson back on Monday. Want to give you the updates from the Benton Franklin Health District. As far as the latest COVID-19 cases a bit in Franklin counties, uh, the Washington State Department of Health had some issues earlier regarding uh, updating some information to their website. So we do not have testing results, but we do have case results. And they look better than they have the last couple of days. That much I can tell you. Benton County. 35 additional cases. Franklin County, 39 additional cases. No deaths to report in either county. As of right now, 17.8% is the hospitalization rate of COVID-19 patients. 59 patients are in the four hospitals in Benton and Franklin counties with COVID-19 out of 332 patients overall. Uh, the numbers that we are seeing, though, that still are concerning is the percentage of cases that we are seeing in the Hispanic community. That's grown. It has grown. It is now up to 48.5% uh, of the active cases, or of the cases overall, I should say. Cases overall, not active cases necessarily, 
because we you know, active cases is a much more fluid number than overall cases that we have seen total, which are 6,715, but 48.4% of those cases have been in the Hispanic community. Um, the next highest percentage is other, which is 22.9%, and that would include any uh, ethnic background that is not described by the Benton Franklin Health District in their graphic, which is white, Hispanic, black, Asian, Native Hawaiian, or other Pacific Islander, Native American, and Alaska Native, or someone who is biracial. Um Then the Caucasian population is 17.8%. From there, the Asian population presents 1.8%, and everything else is under 1%. So that's where we sit right now with the case counts in Benton and Franklin counties. With COVID-19, it's better than it's been over the last few days. Hopefully, it continues to get better. 74 cases overall between the two counties. No deaths to report in either county. Going to take a quick time out, come back with more. Bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA, hour number two is just around the corner.